everybody. Welcome to episode 147 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this is it. This episode is the last episode in which I will be covering any incarnation of the Super Friends. That's right. This week, I will be wrapping up my coverage of the Super Powers team, the Galactic Guardians, with Escape from Space City, and one of the most notable and famous episodes of the series, at least I believe it is, The Death of Superman, which I've talked about before, and I'll talk about more in the uh, last segment is the one episode I actually have memories of from when I was a kid. There are episodes that... Now, I remember watching the show. I'm not going to deny that. And I remember little things from certain episodes, like when I mentioned things like the blue kryptonite from uh, one of the episodes and, uh, and the other details. But there was only one episode that I actually had memories of from when I was a kid. That is The Death of Superman. And I'm really looking forward to getting to that when... The time comes in the final segment. It's almost fitting that that episode is saved for last. But before I get to the business of this week's episode, I have feedback to address. Feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 136. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I certainly agree with you that these episodes, even as short as they are, are an improvement over the previous season. The Krypton Syndrome is probably the best of these stories, with both time travel and a pretty heavy philosophical consideration about the choices faced by a time traveler. In some ways, a similar choice faced Adam Strange in the first season of the sci-fi series Krypton. I could well imagine the writers were actually taking on a lesson for the kid viewers about thinking about the consequences before acting impulsively. But I guess it's another plus to the shorter story that there wasn't time for that. Sometimes it's best to let kids think these things out for themselves. In your discussion, you normally wondered whether Jor-El normally wore a cape in the Silver Age. Normally, he did not. But I seem to recall that every once in a while, in both the Golden and Silver Ages, he was drawn with a cape. I assume that was simply a decision by different artists. Revenge of Doom gave us the return of the Legion of Doom, which I love to see. It was funny that the cover story for the bad guys was that the Department of Parks was going to make the Hall of Doom into a museum. I think I'd really enjoy visiting that museum. The Legion of Doom's plan to steal $10 billion worth of gold from Fort Knox is, of course, pretty impractical. That much gold would be pretty hard to move and probably hard to hide, but I guess the kids watching the show wouldn't uh, think too much about that. As you said, this story really moved along quickly, so pesky questions of logistics really wouldn't come up. Pint of Life seemed the kind of story we might have seen in the George Reeves' Adventures of Superman, with the Super Friends off on a mission to find the boy's father and return him in time to give his son a life-saving transfusion. I don't know if that similarity to the George Reeves series was deliberate on the part of the writers, but it made me smile. I'm looking forward to the rest of this season of The Super Friends, and hoping they'll be as fun as these first several episodes have been. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. When Dave uh, wrote that, he he agrees that these episodes are an improvement. Episode 136 was when I crossed over from the first two seasons of uh, animated shorts and into the 1983 quote-unquote lost season, which I remember at the beginning was a much improved version of the format that had run in the previous two seasons that I was definitely enjoying the, the stories more, even though they were shorter. And, yeah, I didn't think about Krypton when uh, I did my episode on the Krypton Syndrome, as far as uh, the choice uh, faced by Adam Strange. But the only difference is Adam wasn't uh, sent into the past by accident. He was trying to preserve the future, and uh, Superman just kind of let his heart get in the way of uh, good sense in the Krypton Syndrome. And eventually had to go back and undo what he did. And I agree with Dave that I could definitely imagine as well the writers uh, taking on a lesson for the kids about thinking about consequences before acting impulsively. And I think maybe that's something that didn't need to be spelled out 
per se that you know the kids could see Superman made a mistake and uh, maybe kids you know kids can't be smart enough to see that Superman made a mistake because he acted rashly and maybe I guess if one kid realizes that maybe he should think about a an action before he takes it I guess the show did its job and uh, thank you Dave for uh, con- for elaborating on my Joe Bell with a cape question and as far as Revenge of Doom I agree with uh, Dave as well. I would have enjoyed visiting the Hall of Doom as a museum as well. And as far as the Legion of Doom's plan to steal $10 billion worth of gold being impractical, of course it's impractical. Most of the Legion of Doom's plans are impractical. But, you know, these are the same people that at least they're hatching a scheme that's worth it. How many times does Lex Luthor create a $5 billion robot to steal $10,000 worth of money from a bank? You know, just one of those things. I didn't think of uh, a pint of life as being something the Adventures of Superman would do. But we have certainly seen uh, episodes of that around the world of Superman comes to mind, where uh, Superman not only cures the young girl's blindness and uh, also helps uh, track down his, her, fa- her uh, father, who was blamed by the wife for the daughter's blindness and uh, left. Well, you know, you can find that episode and uh, listen to my coverage of it if you like. But that episode kind of comes to mind when I think about the George Reeves Adventures of Superman and this pint of life story with the super friends going out to find the kid's father for the blood transfusion definitely a a well-done story there so i really don't have anything else to add to uh what dave wrote in you can jump in on the feedback too uh, manascreen at gmail.com now i'm gonna take a quick break play a podcast promo then i'm going to come back with escape from space city hang around folks A historic moment tonight. The Berlin Wall can no longer contain the East German people. It is 1989. After 28 years of dividing a city and symbolizing the divide of the Cold War, the Berlin Wall opens up. And from there, everything changes. Fallen Walls, Open Curtains is a podcast miniseries from Pop Culture Affidavit and hosted by me, Tom Paneris. From November 2019 until December 2021, I am going to take a look at the events that took place 30 years ago, beginning with the fall of the Berlin Wall and ending with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. Along the way, I will be flashing back to the landmark and not-so-landmark pieces of popular culture that reflected and defined the Cold War. The first episode will drop on November 9th, 2019, and future episodes will be released quarterly at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Escape from Space City. Had an original broadcast date of October 30th, 1985, and was written by Alan Burnett and Antoni Zalewski. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The superpowers team receives a distress call from an industrialist who is building an independent space city. Soon find out. I need your help, superheroes. Star City is... I need your help, superheroes. Star City is... I need your help, superheroes. That's all there is. The rest of the message was burnt during its descent. Who is he? 
Dr. Moko, the billionaire industrialist. Star City is his highly secretive project, Earth's first orbiting space city. Here it is on our scanners. Strange. Everything appears calm from the outside. I wonder what's up. Can we get a closer look? Sure. As you can see, it's entirely robot built. No one except Moko and his daughter has ever been inside the place. No one till now. But when Batman, Samurai, and Firestorm go, he says nothing is wrong. This is nonsense, Superpowers team. I never sent any such message. As you can see, my daughter Kitty and I are safe and sound. Obviously, someone is playing a joke on you at my expense. Still, the message indicated trouble in Star City. Perhaps we should have a look around. I would consider that an intrusion, Batman. Father, please. Batman only has our welfare in mind. You know my attitude towards outsiders. But it's been so long since we've seen another human being. I suppose I could make this one exception. Excuse me, Moko-san, but you sound like a man who has something to hide. Only from meddlesome officials who would interfere with my visionary plans. I trust you don't fall in that category. Come, let's get this over with. Is he always this charming? I must apologize. I've never seen my father so irritable. Meanwhile, Superman, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman investigate the appearance of an island positioned below the space station. They find Darkseid and are trapped. On the station, the heroes find the industrialist has been replaced by a robot. Now I have no doubt that your father sent us that message right before he was kidnapped and replaced. But by whom? Good question. I'd better contact the Hall of Justice. Greetings from the Space City Command Center, Batman. Dasad! Your friends are indisposed at the moment. However, if you need help, perhaps my security patrol can be of service and assisted by his daughter, must avoid attacks by Kalabak and Dasad. Darkseid hopes to use the station for an attack on Earth. Kalabak says your friends are on the run. I imagine their demise to be quite imminent. Superpowers, team. What about my daughter, Darkseid? Unfortunately, she's fallen in with the wrong kind of people, Moko. Please, she mustn't be harmed. You have only yourself to blame. Your desire for secrecy and control made it exceedingly easy for me to take over Star City. All I had to do was capture you. I've been so foolish. But what do you want with the city? Need you ask? As you can see in this simulation, it will make the perfect attack base. safely inside my island refuge. My city! The problem with building kingdoms, Moko, is that they tend to get taken over. You haven't won yet, Darkseid! Don't give the poor man false hope, Superman. With an army of robots at their disposal, how can Calabac and Dasan possibly fail? The heroes try to gain control of the station, but it ends up plummeting to Earth. Luckily, the heroes on the island are rescued, and Superman saves the falling station. Oh, Father, your life's work. Do not be dismayed, Kitty. 
I am grateful beyond words that you are safe. Perhaps someday it can be repaired and put back in orbit. If so, things will be different. No more kingdoms for me. But what if it can't be repaired? Then it can remain a monument to a bruised and very foolish ego. <laughs> Speaking of bruised egos, I wonder how Darkseid's doing. You, you mean he hasn't moved for the last hour? Perhaps he's devising a way to get back at the superpowers. Let's hope so, for our sake. All right, so we uh, start off in space uh, on a space station. It's a very elaborate looking space station. The animation here is uh, it's very good. And uh, we see this uh, gentleman in a wheelchair. He uh, looks uh, somewhat Asian. I believe he is intended to be uh, Japanese. His name is Moko, so I'm not really uh, an expert on uh, names in the various uh, Asian cultures, so I believe Moko is Japanese. I could be wrong, though. But uh, basically, uh, she's marveling at the uh, how peaceful it is on the space station and how peaceful Earth looks below. Obviously, when you're in a space station looking down at the Earth, all you see is the uh, the globe. You don't see any of the problems that are visible upon further inspection like uh we're going to hear uh in a couple weeks when i cover superman 4 when you really look at it it's just one world but her father sees earth as home to nothing but turmoil he uh you know he sees the problems the the crime the pollution uh anything uh humans do that disrupts harmony i guess we'll say so as they're musing uh, a stargate opens and out comes kalabak I can tell by his boot, and as the attack comes, this uh, Moko is scooting around on his hover chair. That's kind of funny. But we don't actually see what happens here. We just kind of see him running away from Kalabak because when his daughter shows up and her name is escaping me at the moment. I hope I have it somewhere in my notes later. She asks him about the turbulence, and he denies that anything is wrong. But right off the bat, I'm seeing that he's acting a bit odd, a bit stilted, you want to say? So back on Earth, here comes Samurai and Firestorm to a meeting, and... Uh, they intercept some kind of orb, and it's a message from Moko, saying that he needs help aboard the space station. So the team goes to check it out, and I don't mean just Firestorm and Samurai, what I mean is about half of the uh, Superpowers team. And Moko, as it, at this point in the episode, we still are meant to believe that this is Moko. He's denying them access, which flies in the face of the message uh, he sent in the orb. And Samurai really takes the offensive and uh, accuses Moko of having something to hide. Maybe because they're both uh, Japanese that he is uh, taking exception to Moko's attitude. Maybe it's a cultural thing. Again, I don't really know. But Samurai is raking him over the coals more than the rest of the superpowers team is. So meanwhile, Aquaman just found an island that just happened to appear overnight. You know, you hate when that happens. You wake up, you go to bed, there's no island there. You wake up, boom, there's an island right on top of you. But the dolphins are trying to warn uh, Aquaman of danger. And he is uh, slow to realize that there's a robotic dark side probe behind him. But there are no worries here as Aquaman summons a whale to knock the robot out of the sky. You know, just, you know, your average uh, telepathic signal to a, to a humpback whale, I believe it was. And uh, then just as a nice big uh, jump and uh, the robot crashes into the ocean. So this island is in geosynchronous orbit under Star City. And Star City is the space station, not the uh, home of Green Arrow. And, uh... For those of you who don't know, because I'm not going to assume everybody knows what geosynchronous orbit is, basically what that means is Star City is always over the same spot on Earth. For those of you who watched uh, Star Trek, 
the Enterprise had uh, two uh, modes of orbit. Standard orbit, which basically the ship orbited the uh, planet at whatever pace was normal for the ship, or synchronous orbit, where it matched the rotation of the planet and orbited along with it. Which I guess when you think about it, it's not really an orbit. But that's neither here nor there. So uh, living on Star City comes with a price, according to Moko. Basically, uh, his word is law. And uh, Samurai uh, paints that as if he's naming himself Emperor. Japan at this time has an emperor, and I believe they still do, but he's more of a ceremonious position as the uh, the government headed by the prime minister, I believe, holds most of the real power. But Samurai is using uh, emperor kind of in terms of a dictator, kind of like the emperor from uh, World War II, I guess. But anyway, Make- Moko's defense is, well, I built it. So you want to live here, you got to live by my rules. And basically, you know, it's a privately owned city, so I guess it is within his right to kind of do things his way, but... But we all know there's something wrong with Moko here. So uh, Dasad has some measure of control here, as he is, uh, while we don't ex- know at the beginning what the shape of Dasad's control, it is clear that he is uh, directing the shuttle that is carrying Moko and the team. And at this point, I pondered whether he was controlling Moko. Toward the end of this episode, you're going to find out how right I was. So back on Earth, Superman pulls the robot out of the water, but he doesn't know where the robot comes from. But they can tell it's alien, which kind of confused me at this point, because here we are. Seven episodes into the Galactic Guardians, and I'm assuming these episodes are happening in sequence. I mean, they don't need to be watched in sequence, but they can be, and I did. So, this is episode seven of eight. You would think by now they've seen this model robot enough times that they would recognize it as Darkseid's probe. They should know where that robot came from. So, Wonder Woman finds a cave, and they're locked in a kryptonite force field, and Darkseid comes out of a Stargate. Now, obviously, it's a kryptonite force field to neutralize Superman. You don't necessarily need a kryptonite force field to uh, hold back whomever is with Superman, at least Aquaman and Wonder Woman. So, kryptonite force field for Superman, but since they need a for- he needs a force field to control everybody else, well, why not kryptonite as well? So now that the heroes of Earth are taken care of, it's now up to uh, Desaad to worry about the ones in Star City. Now, something has gone horribly wrong as Moko just stopped talking in mid-sentence. And then, the ro- then a robot blows some dirt on Firestorm to attack him. And then another robot attacks Batman, and then Moko just kind of takes care of Samurai with a ray blast. And here we go with the moment of truth. As uh, Moko's daughter pulls off uh, Moko's sleeve, she's trying to get him to stop attacking, and then we find out Moko is a robot. So yeah, not only was Desad controlling the shuttle, but he was also controlling Moko. And his daughter is absolutely aghast, and you know she could have been a little bit more shocked, I think. It just didn't seem horrified enough. And I can imagine, you know, if you pull off, you know, you pull on the sleeve of a loved one, you find out that they've been replaced with a robot, you'd have a little bit, you'd react with a little bit more shock than she did, you know. And that's kind of a complaint about the whole show, really, is that people encounter these out there things and they react like it's something they see every day. But anyway, the robot Moko does, the robot itself doesn't bring up the question. The revelation of the robot brings up, should bring up a question to the viewer that, and it brought it up to me. What happened to the real Moko? And how did he send the message in the orb? The robot revelation is followed by a decent action sequence as the uh, three superheroes, Samurai, Firestorm, and Batman, defend themselves against the robotic assault. So it's Batman who does the thinking in this group. He uh, determines that Moko was kidnapped, and he tries to use his JLA communications device to call the Hall of Justice. But instead, he gets the sod on the phone instead. So now there are more robot fights, as Star City has so many robots doing just about everything to meet the station's needs. 
There are robots doing maintenance, gardening. So there are millions of machines for the side to just send after the uh, the three heroes, and there's really nothing they can do by fighting them. Eventually, they'll just be worn down by fighting wave and wave and wave of robots. So they're going to have to come up with a different plan, and we'll figure out that plan later. As um, we find Moko here, the real Moko is on a cage on the island, and he's basically uh, asking about his daughter, and he begs for her life. But Darkseid basically tells him that uh, Moko's desire for control is the reason for his daughter's danger. So basically saying, it's your own fault. Deal with it. So basically what's going to happen here is Darkseid's plan is to use Star City to attack the Earth. Now this gives uh, a chance for Superman to do some blustering. And uh, then we learn that Darkseid can be funny as well. <laughs> as he says, with all the robots at their disposal, how could Kalabak and Asad possibly fail? He should know that there are a myriad of ways for Asad and Kalabak to fail. They fail constantly. It's what they do. He should know that by now. And we're going to see, back on the fight, more robots and more transmutations by Firestorm. Just the battles going on and on with no end in sight. Eventually, for Batman, Samurai, and Firestorm, something is going to have to give. And I have no complaints about the action. It keeps superheroes from having to fight life forms. So when you deal with robots, they can punch and shoot everything, everything they need to. There aren't the same rules about punching robots and, as there are about punching humans. Even though this particular season is going further in the superhero fights than this show has ever gone before. But they realize they have to get to the command center and uh, turn everything off. And uh, as uh, here comes another robot to uh, join the fight. And for as much as I complain about the 11-minute episodes, and I did some my fair complaining about the 7-minute episodes as well, this one seems too long <laughs> as I am starting to uh, get bored with it. You know, it's just wave after wave of them fighting robots and not going anywhere to the point where Eventually, the fight gets boring, and now they're in the foundry, so we've just seen about every other part of Star City we could find, and uh, Firestorm will turn some lava to confetti because he can, but I do love how Samurai takes a minute to comment on the ridiculousness of uh, their situation. And speaking of ridiculous, the uh, fight unveils an underground river. Somehow, in this space station, it has an underground river, which uh, basically uh, is coolant, and the team is going to take that out of there because, of course, Firestorm turns a piece of metal into an inflatable raft. And uh, Samurai uses his wind power to uh, give them some boost. And then eventually he stops and the water catches up to them and then sweeps the heroes away. Perhaps he should have kept his uh, wind power going. Well, anyway, the side is uh, hoping this will get them vaporized, but I guess it won't. And Samurai uh, finally uh, does something useful and uh, becomes a tornado to whisk the team out of there. So now we're going through the central core. I assume we're going to have two uh, more traps and robot fights. But the... Uh, Question is how to shut down the central core of the space station. Fortunately, Kitty, and that's his daughter's name, Kitty, she has a key and she just turns everything off. So after all that, all it took was a little bit of a key and everything is turned off and fine. And I love Desaad's panic. And for the first time, I'm finally able to pick out Rene Arbogenois' voice in Desaad. He uh, disguises his uh, natural gravelly voice very well. You know, Rene Arbogenois has a very distinct voice and that, to my ears, he was able to disguise it so well is a credit to the voice performance. So, when all is said and done, Darkseid's contingency plan is just crash the station into Earth. If you can't shoot it with uh, rays, you may as well just crash something into it. So, there we go. And uh, as it's starting to crash into Earth, Darkseid ponders what could have gone wrong when he sees the, the station falling. And now now a Stargate's going to open, and uh, the wind from uh, 
Samurai's tornado power is just going to blow the side Kalabak into Dark Side and knock them all out. Ordinarily, this would not topple Dark Side, but the visual of it, I think, is pretty funny. And of course, they get away, but Star City is still falling. But here comes Superman to save the day as uh, he's going to fly up and uh, basically, basically try to catch the station or to very least slow it down from potentially causing massive damage to the Earth. And Superman is going to struggle with this. And I enjoy, as much as you, you can enjoy seeing anyone struggle, I, I love seeing Superman struggle with an object falling from space. It shouldn't be too easy to stop this. I mean, it's coming down. It's, I mean, the station has huge mass, which is different from weight. For those of you who remember your physics lessons, uh, mass times the coefficient of gravity, which was 9.8 meters per second, I believe, gives you your weight. And when you add in the speed at which this thing is falling, that's going to make it pretty heavy. And so it shouldn't be easy. And Superman's comment about how it feels like holding a small planet makes me think of how he could move uh, planets during the Silver Age or even uh, blow out a sun like a birthday candle. But we don't see him land the station. We just see the team casually walk away from the falling station. But from then the screen shakes a little bit. And from the bend and twist and look we see in the next shot, the landing does not look like it was very pretty as the metal of the uh, space station is all mangled. So Moko has learned not to be so selfish with his creations. Uh, and if he repairs Star City, he won't build another kingdom because, as Darkseid said, kingdoms can be taken over. Well, so can cities in space, but that's neither here nor there. And I love the ending on Apocalypse where Darkseid is sulking on his throne after this defeat while the side Kalabak hide in the corner. <laughs> Kalabak is optimistic, suggesting that he's just thinking of a new plan to defeat the Superpowers team and uh, the side knows. He might be planning to get rid of them and he is properly terrified, as he should be. So, as far as this episode goes, very tedious. Could have stood to be a little bit shorter as the team, as much as I enjoy seeing superheroes fight robots, the constant robot fight just got repetitive after a while. But the ending made it worth it. I love the fear in the side's voice. And it's always great to see a Superman signature moment like when he caught the space station. But if you want Superman signature moments, why don't you wait until the next segment? So after I take a quick break and play a podcast promo, I'm going to come back with the death of Superman. Hang around, folks. But you don't understand. There was the high school episode. And the future episode, where they had a daughter. Of course, Millhouse is in-game. Yes, and Lisa is so fulfilled in all of those. In fact, there's that Christmas episode where she's so fulfilled by him that, who is she calling? Nelson. You know why? Because they are in-game. It's almost stupid to even discuss it. This show's been going on for, like, so long that there's so many different future scenarios. It's, like, it's been 30 years. Yeah, that's true. That reminds me of Stella on her podcast, Batgirl to Oracle. She's had a pretty healthy run. How long do you think it will last? <laughs> Forever. Ooh, let's give Stella a call. Hello? Hey, Stella. Why are you guys using Skype? Don't you want a feed time? No. Hmm. Don and I were just talking about BTO and how long it's lasted. Remember when we were kids, you didn't think it would go very far? What? What are you talking about? Stella, how long are you going to do this show? Meh. Ten episodes a year. Would you come first? Ha! You won't make it that long! You a girl! Yeah, and girls have cooties. 
You guys really were supportive back then. We made up for it. By doing what? Mansplaining? And casplaining. Ugh. Well, anyway, 2020 is going to be a milestone. We've got the 10th anniversary in December, and of course the 200th episode after that. What are you planning on doing? Call and show for your listeners will be scheduled in December, and the 200th is going to feature some very special guest reviewers. Hopefully. Ooh, I'll be sure to free my calendar. Not you. You're, no. Fly on with Backroll the Oracle in 2020. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish things off with... The Death of Superman, original broadcast date, November 6th, 1985. Story was by Alan Burnett, the teleplay was by Alan Burnett and John Loy. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The world is mourning the death of Superman. The superpowers team takes his body and sends it toward the sun. Darkseid decides that if this isn't a trick, he can now invade Earth safely. He has Firestorm kidnapped, and Desaad interrogates Firestorm to learn how Superman died. Now, tell me of your last day with Superman. Tell me everything. We were returning from a mission in space when Superman decided to make a stop on the planet Genomede. Gee, would you look at all the colors? This world is rich in mineral deposits, Firestorm. I'm hoping to find some rare crystals to use in my research for an antidote to kryptonite. Whoa! It's just a trimmer. You'd better stay behind. I won't be long. If only I'd listened to him. But it's not every day I visit an alien world. So I decided to look around on my own. Eventually, I came upon a dazzling sight. My gosh! It's as bright as a Christmas tree. Meanwhile, Superman was busily collecting mineral samples. Cyborg and Wonder Woman have gone to Superman's Fortress of Solitude, where they find one of Superman's robots. Before we go on, there's something you should see. From what you've told me of Superman's death, I think it could be very important. As you know, Superman spent years risking the properties of kryptonite. 
This is his Kryptonian rejuvenator ray. He developed it to speedily reverse the effects of severe kryptonite poisoning. Superman was too long gone for this gizmo to do any good on him. Yes, unless he was able to place himself under a Kryptonian trance in time. Kryptonian trance? What's that? A self-hypnotic method to slow down the process of kryptonite poisoning. The research is right here. Now watch as he prepares to go into a trance. By slowing down his metabolism, Superman could withstand the effects of kryptonite for much longer periods of time. Look how he's got his arms. That's how Firestorm found him. He must have gone into a trance. Mm, and perhaps became so weakened by the kryptonite that he was unable to snap out of it. Are you suggesting that he might still be alive? It's quite possible. Merciful Minerva! While Darkseid begins his invasion, the superpowers team race to get Superman's body and see if he can be revived. Superman is revived and stops Darkseid again. Is it really him? Just ask Firestorm. Boy, oh boy, is it great to have you back. Hey, I'd say a little explanation is in order here. It's a long story. Oh, I think we have the time. I think we have all the time in the world. Nine seasons of Super Friends all comes down to this. This is the only episode of the show I remember vividly from when I was a kid. Sure, like I said before, there are aspects of certain episodes that I remembered, but this is the only one I remember sitting down and watching. I remember an episode about Superman dying, and I remember the capture of Firestorm. Those two details were very vivid in my mind, so I definitely remembered this episode. I remember the Kryptonite Mountain falling on Superman, and I remember the sight of him of him lying on the ground all green. So, to say I was looking forward to covering this episode is was a no-brainer. And of course, I had to wade through an entire uh, nine-season run of Super Friends to get to this point. And like I said, it's very appropriate that this is the last episode that I'm covering of Super Friends. This podcast was always designed to be retrospective. And really, from when I completed my coverage of the George Reeves Adventures of Superman, it kind of stopped being retrospective at that point. Because... Not only had I watched The Adventures of Superman as a kid and had very uh, vivid vivid memories and tapes of the show from when I was a kid that I've watched since I was like seven or eight years old, I've had, I had had the DVD set and had watched every episode before. Everything really since the final episode of the George Reeves TV show has been a little more review and less retrospective because while I remembered watching that stuff, I didn't remember the details. The only stuff that I really had retrospective memory of in this time period from the late 50s to the late 80s was the four Christopher Reeve movies, because I had watched them constantly. Unfortunately, after coverage of Superman 4, things are going to go back to a little more review, because, again, I remember one episode of the Ruby Spears out of the 13, and I don't even think it's one of the main episodes. I remember Superman playing baseball. That is literally all I remember from the Ruby Spears show. Again, I remember watching it when it was on, but I don't remember the episodes. So again, the show is going to go back to a little more review at that point. And even, I had never seen the first two episodes of Superboy before. Things really go back to being retrospective after the third and fourth seasons of Superboy and into Lois and Clark. That's the stuff that I do have memories of. 
from when they were on. So, I only remember having watched this episode. I don't remember much else but what was going on in my life at this time. The original broadcast date, November 6th, 1985, that was a few days short of my uh, fifth birthday. I don't know if I watched it as a first run or as a rerun, but I do remember watching it. And I, before watching it to review for this episode, I could have watched ahead, but I didn't. I made sure I waited until I got to this episode. That's basically a rule for anything that I'm going to cover on this podcast, that I will not watch something ahead. The only time I broke that was when uh, the extended cut of Superman the movie came out, the three-hour version. I wasn't going to have that in my possession and not watch it the day I got it. So let's get into this. I'm really looking forward to it. When this episode starts, Superman is already gone, and everyone is wearing those black armbands that were really made famous in uh, 1992 after uh, Superman died in the comics. We have a nice image of uh, Batman, Aquaman, Flash, and Samurai acting as pallbearers. Superman is green from uh, the Kryptonite exposure. I would have preferred to see one of the other superheroes other than uh, Samurai, maybe Green Lantern, being one of the pallbearers, but it is what it is. Firestorm is the hardest hit because he was with Superman when he died in an apparent accident. We don't know what the accident is at this point, but man, what a way for Superman to go out in an an accident. Not really the way you want to see Superman go. Well, you don't want to see Superman go at all, but you you definitely don't want to see a mountain fall on him. So this animation does a good job of showing the Earth in mourning. And everyone throughout the galaxy has come to see Superman off. You see the crying uh, faces on, uh, on the ground. And when the superpower seems a uh, spaceship, the name of which is, is escaping me, ships have come from all over the universe to uh, provide a path for the superpowers team to the sun where, where they're going to, uh, quote unquote, bury Superman. And uh, Firestorm is broken up over the death of Superman, and, and the other heroes try to help him and remind him that it's not his fault and that he did try to save him. He's gone, and it's all my fault. My fault! You must stop blaming yourself. You tried to save him? Yeah, a lot of good it did. How'd you like to go down in history as the guy who failed Superman? Oh, I wish I'd never become a superhero in the first place. Never! 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 Man, he really hurts. I wish there was something we could do. We've done all we can for now. She's right. It's important for the rest of us to keep a level head. Remember, with Saman gone, our enemies are scheming as never before. And it really feels as though we're coming in on uh, part two of a story. But the uh, impending capture of Firestorm will catch us up eventually. So Batman reminds us that with Superman gone, the enemies are going to come back kind of in spades, and that's exactly exactly what's going to happen is uh, Darkseid wants to get confirmation and proof that Superman is dead so that he can uh, up his game on, on invading Earth and conquering it. Superman is really the one thing that holds him back. And we're going to get a lot in the early part of this episode of Firestorm uh, beating himself over what happened to Superman. So here he's uh, blasting rocks. And even uh, Professor Stein, who also was there, if anyone's forgotten, you know, it's so easy to see just the uh, Ronnie Raymond side of Firestorm, because this show doesn't really go out of its way to show you Professor Stein, who's also part of the uh, Firestorm Matrix. And and he's reminding Ronnie that he did all he could, and this is when Firestorm was captured by Darkseid's robots. 
So now the uh, rest of the Super Friends are going to the fortress, and it's a very Silver Age fortress, more so than we've seen before on this show. I mean, everything got a giant uh, redesign uh, for Galactic Guardians. But this has the giant key and all. And of course, my first question was, how are they going to lift the key that only Superman can lift? We'll come back to that. So here is uh, Firestorm struggling against Darkseid's uh, kind of energy beam or something. Whatever it is, it's tuned to Firestorm to... Uh, so that he can't use his powers to escape. So Darkseid wants to know what really happened to Superman, and apparently a decided some kind of box that's going to get the truth out of Firestorm. It's a truth box or something, I don't know. But f- what it really is is a plot device. So Firestorm tells the story, and I have vivid memories uh, of this scene. I thought I remembered Firestorm being strapped to a table, but I guess not. He's more of an upright position, but basically what happens is Firestorm and Superman were coming back from somewhere, and uh, they were on an alien planet because Superman was searching for... I think they kind of took a detour to this alien planet. Superman was searching for something to help him find a cure for kryptonite when all of a sudden this mountain made of kryptonite caves in on Superman. And Firestorm gets tangled in some kind of organic plant. Apparently, Firestorm's powers have no effect on organic matter. I don't know if that's a comics-accurate thing, but maybe it is, maybe it's not. But uh, that delayed Firestorm long enough to be unable to save Superman. When Firestorm finds Superman next to the mountain, he uh, transmutes Kryptonite into something harmless, but at this point, it's too late. Superman is all green and very dead. Kind of a lousy way for Superman to go out, but it is what it is for this story, and uh, Darkseid feels the same way that I do. If Superman must die, I'd rather be at the hands of a villain and not some random mountain collapse. And uh, for those of you who were reading the comics at the time, and I can only imagine what Superman fan hasn't read this story at that point, Funeral for a Friend, remember how... uh, Lex Luthor reacted when Superman died and he wasn't responsible. He just got mad and started throwing uh, chairs and tables and whatnot around uh, the coroner's office. Well, Darkseid's not going to be doing that. But he feels the same way that Luthor did. That if Superman should die, it should have been by my hand and not the accidental mountain. So meanwhile, at the Fortress, this is a, quite an elaborate setup we've got going on here as a Green Lantern, who I believe this is the most Green Lantern has done all season, has set up some kind of a construct platform with his ring... Uh, for them to walk on, and Cyborg and Wonder Woman are uh, carrying the key. Cyborg is complaining that this is hell on his back, and Batman is basically uh, standing there directing traffic, telling them not to drop it, because that would be bad for everybody. Now, please note, it takes four members of the Superpowers team to do what it takes one Superman to do. So, when they get in, Wonder Woman goes, Great Hera, the Fortress! Yeah, Diana, what were you expecting? Why does she seem surprised that they're in the Fortress? That's what they were trying to open. Very strange. So here comes Superman robot walking toward them. Uh, Cyborg and uh, Wonder Woman, and I believe Green Lantern are all surprised. They think it's Superman, but no, Batman knows. It's a, it's a robot. Superman had a collection of robots. And apparently uh, nobody told uh, the robot that Superman has died because uh, Batman knew about Superman's robots. And uh, in the comics, the robots had the same uh, powers as Superman. I mean, could they have just not told anyone Superman died and had, had one of the robots pose as Superman? Well, anyway, I guess that would be dishonest. But right now, they're going to inventory Superman stuff for a museum. So uh, the robot uh, shows uh, Superman's Kryptonian regenerator processing machine here. And uh, the robot postulates that Superman went into a Kryptonian trance to extend how long he could withstand kryptonite. Hmm. So all of a sudden, it's unclear how long ago Superman died at, at that mountain. But long enough for a funeral to be held and all that. So how long did Superman stay in this trance? And it's possible he's still alive. 
a lot of people postulated that this is what happened to Superman in the comics in the early 90s, that he was so weakened by his fight with Doomsday that he couldn't wake up, and the only thing that saved him was the fact that his body was stolen by the Cadmus Project and exposed to light. And there were clues leading to that at the time, too. You know, in one issue, uh, the second Man of Steel issue, A Funeral for a Friend, so would that have been Man of Steel number 22? Guardian makes a point that Superman's wounded closed, implying some bodily function. But in Superman number 82, after in Engine City talking to Superman, Eradicator describes Superman as having been categorically deceased. Then, actually, a few weeks later, Action Comics 692 implies that Superman had been exposed to enough sunlight after his fight with Doomsday that his body may have healed on its own because residual solar energy stored in Superman's body preserved it, but eventually it would have run out, making his death permanent. And then uh, the animated 2007 Superman Doomsday movie implies Superman's body had just slowed beyond detection, kind of like here. So, I'm not sure what I accomplished by going on that little uh, tangent, but either way, Superman is dead and came back to life. End of story. So back to the episode here. And we've got Eldorado, Flash, and Hawkman in this episode. I believe that's the first time we're seeing these guys. Firestorm is flying randomly and not paying attention. And the Justice League shuts down the shields, and they're all captured. And that's when we find out that Firestorm was only a parademon. Because the real Firestorm can't escape due to the beams that all of a sudden Ronnie is thinking that if they split, they can escape the beams. And it worked. So back at the fortress, the heroes leave with the uh, rejuvenator and... They're going to the sun to get Superman. But they're going to need some cover to go get his body, and Green Lantern is going to provide that and shield the jet here with his ring. So, we find Superman lying in the sun. Apparently, while the heat of the sun is enough to destroy the casket that Superman was in, he can't break his body down. He kind of looks like he's floating in the sun, sunbathing. And I wonder if being in the sun here is helping him uh, prolong his trance. So, by by this point, Firestorm has uh, returned himself to... uh, to the superpowers team and he's on the ship with the rest of them and uh, he shields the ship from the sun's rays as they recover superman so batman puts superman in the rejuvenator and i love the touch of firestorm crossing his fingers uh, behind his back it's a nice touch by the animators and it shows that firestorm is still kicking himself for what happened on uh the alien planet so he's really hoping this thing works and brings superman back so it takes a while and while that's happening apocalypse is attacking earth and there's some nice action here. People running and uh, away from the ships. And the side is now at the Hall of Justice. Darkseid is opening up a whole bunch of Stargates to pull his uh, fleet through. And then we get a really cool image of a red and blue blur taking out the side's ship. And then into the Hall of Justice comes a Superman in all of his glory. And he repels the Omega Effect with his body. That is some Superman badassery right there. Superman lets Darkseid get away, and the day is saved. Understandably, the uh, rest of the team wants an explanation, and they have time as the gates uh, shut down and no invasion fleet comes through. So, that's the end of Super Friends. And what a way to end. This, to me, is possibly one of the best Superman stories done on the screen in either TV or film. This was basically the plot of the 2017 Justice League film done in 22 minutes, and it got everything right. I may have enjoyed this more if it were a two-part two part episode, a total of a 44-minute story. I didn't really care for Superman dying in a kryptonite avalanche. Maybe if he died through Darkseid's uh, machinations, I would have enjoyed that more. I loved seeing the sadness on everyone's faces at his funeral. Not that anybody's ever happy at a funeral, but you really got a sense of how much this man was loved. And that the superpowers team couldn't hold back Darkseid while he was gone 
underscores how important Superman is to the team. And that's the one thing Justice League did right. So many times, Superman is taken off the table, and no one is more guilty of this than Bruce Timm in in the Justice League cartoon of uh, the early 2000s. And he even admitted it, and course corrected somewhat in uh, Season 2 and later Justice League Unlimited. But there have been countless times this season where the team would not have succeeded without Superman doing what Superman does. So, I believe a lot of respect was paid to Superman, especially in this season. This cements him as the center of the, of the DC Universe. He's the immovable object that holds back evil. And I love that his presence alone is enough to chase Darkseid. They didn't even have to fight. Just the fact that he was back was enough to send Darkseid scampering back to Apocalypse. I do think this diminishes Darkseid a little bit as he is possibly more powerful than Superman. He probably is. And Superman should not be able to repel the Omega Beams the way he does. But maybe the Rejuvenator gave him a little more power. Just a great way to finish. And that's it. Super Friends is done. Another long portion of this podcast has come to a close. And next time, another ending. As I'm going to finish off the Christopher Reeve films with Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Until then, feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. So until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Manascreen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo. And all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.